and welcome to From the Rickering, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, with me is Mike. Uh, April apparently is, John, hi. <laughs> it is April uh, and we are no fools, uh, especially as we're joined, for, uh, we haven't been for a few weeks, by uh, Adam Leventhal. Good evening, Adam. A very good evening. How are we, gents? Very good. Very good. Very safe and very healthy. Thank you very much. That's the main thing. Isn't yes. It? Adam, it's been a while since we've been on, but you've been busy writing uh, at The Athletic and I've got plenty to talk about. The topics that we, you know, we can't really say what's going to happen with this football season, where it's going to go, is it going to happen, when will it finish, will it ever finish? But you, had a, you got to have a chat with, uh, with Jerry Adelafeu uh, in Spain. How did that go? It was good to track him down and to check in with how he's recovering. Before I sort of go into the details, it, it has been strange in this scenario, actually switching from having some sort of face-to-face contact with with people, especially at games, and now doing it simply via, you know, WhatsApp and phone calls and Skypes and, th- and things like that. So uh, it has been a, a little bit of a, a a gear change um, but this what you're one saying is you haven't got dressed adam that's it <laughs> exactly i'm in my undercrackers uh, yeah 24 7 no but a, a serious point on that actually and i'm sure you that there's been loads of um sort of things that you've seen on social media and people giving advice about working from home and stuff like that i have made it a a sort of um a rule every day to not work work in my pants and uh, work in my pajamas so sort of get up do exercise absolutely get ready as if you are you know actually going to the office obviously you know put my makeup on put a nice dress on <laughs> high heels all that sort of stuff and then sit down at the computer anyway track down Gerard Delafeu and uh, he kindly answered some of my questions which I sent through and uh, the main thing that I really wanted to find out is how the operation went and it seems as if he's in a decent place he's he's having you know he's now in the initial phase of his recovery having had the operation uh, around about a month ago they found that there was damage to the meniscus uh, in addition to his ACL so that sort of made me wince a little bit and think well hang on a minute does that make you know your absence even longer Uh, but it seems as if the the sort of the prognosis is as we sort of first suspected that the earliest that he could be back is September and then that the maximum time that he could be out is probably sort of nine months, which would be around December. So it's just trying to see now how he recovers and, you know, if, if he's a if he's a quick a quick healer, which, I, I, you know, he hasn't had a significant injury like this before. So he's sort of he's in a little bit of a, an unknown territory, you know, aside from everything that's going on in the world at the moment. Adam, it struck it struck me in his in his answers that and this was the thing that probably worried me the most. Because you you have to have faith that these guys, young, fit athletes, are going to be equipped physically to come back from these these sort of terrible injuries. But the mental aspect was was always going to be difficult. And I wonder whether, in a funny sort of way, this I mean, we wouldn't wish this situation on anyone, of course, this pandemic that's that struck us. But him not him knowing that he's not missing out on any on any football might give him a bit of mental breathing space to, to to take his time with with getting getting better and, and not rushing himself back in it and reading the piece and reading his quotes it seems like he's got his head around that quite nicely he just feels he sounds quite mentally strong and he sounds in sounds like he's in a good place yeah mentally and and physically in a, in a good place and that was one of the decisions that he made um very early on there was sort of some talk when the incident happened you know where where is he going to have the operation and it seems as if it was all very sort of amicable and it was all it was all fine but he made that decision to to head back to spain 
um, you know, near to his family, near to, to friends, although obviously now, you know, they can't be socialising and, and things like that. But he wanted to be where he felt comfortable. And yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, actually, the fact that he knows that he's not he's not missing out and everyone's sort of in the same boat at the moment, although it is... I don't know. It, it must just be very, very confusing for for the players. Aside from if you've got an injury, how much work do you do? How much fitness, you know, are you losing? How to keep your your sort of your mind fresh, like everyone else as well. But for for players that might think, well, am I going to be restarting this season? Am I not? It's mm. it must it must be a really you know difficult scenario. Also, you don't want to sort of start going down avenues of thinking, oh well, you know they'll probably just call off the season and, and we will have survived. You need to sort of keep that competitive mindset just in case you know the season restarts whenever it is going to. So, yeah, a, a very testing time I think for the, for for the players mentally and in particular for for Delafeu. So, Mike, I could hear you there when you talk about recovery from an injury and what Jerry's going through. <laughs> how you must have a certain yes. uh, you know, understanding of what that feels like after you uh, did your uh, Achilles in at Vicarage Road at the end yeah. of last year. You know, you can really feel that, can't you? Of course, it's almost a, almost a year to the day. I'm glad you brought it up because it saves me saves me bringing it up. And uh, yeah, almost a year ago, and obviously the the fight back has been long, arduous, torturous, even at yeah. some Torturous and, for who? Well, everyone involved, unfortunately, including my long suffering family. But but really, it's the supporters I feel sorry for. They've been robbed of seeing my sort of fleet footed goalkeeping efforts um, again, possibly ever again. Actually, well, um, so yeah. It, but all joking aside, I you know I I could do nothing with it with a with a snapped Achilles you can't see it getting better mm. you just have to sit and trust it gets better and you have to sit there you have to sit still and try and keep as much weight off it as, as possible in my situation it's quite an, a considerable amount of weight I need to keep off it as well <laughs> um, but just sitting there is, is tough that's why I, I mentioned that, that that mental thing. Adam, you say that he's not he's not mixing with anyone. I can see one person or one character he is mixing with uh, from his Instagram, and it's a, the picture shown on the on the athletic piece. His dog. So he's posing with no top on, and his his dog is it some sort of chihuahua? Um, yeah, I was I I was going to actually sort of go into detail and find out what um, <laughs> what brand of dog it was. No, what breed of dog it was. But I um I just couldn't be bothered um so I, I didn't but yeah small small fluffy fluffy dog called nikki if i remember is that is that what it's called i, I think, think it's so. called nikki the dog yeah. mm. and then uh, sarah his uh, his partner you obviously have to get those two things the right way around when you're uh, writing it in the article so um yeah he's in a nice place he'll be in a lovely sort of villa somewhere with lots of room to to walk around the i suppose the only thing that is interesting now that He's in a phase of the initial recovery, as I said, but when he would need to be sort of making a little bit more sort of um, detailed stages in his recovery, I wonder how much that might be hindered due to the the scenario that we're all in and in terms of if he needed to go into a hospital and, you know, have those next stage appointments and things like that, or if someone can come and visit. So I don't know in terms of logistically if his recovery will be delayed in any way, but I'm sure, you know, he's a he's a Premier League footballer and, um, you know, he's in the best place and I'm sure all the provisions will be will be made for him to, to recover quickly. But it did also bring in, you know, the, the question of could he actually be back this season if it does resume in in September which has been mooted so that's a little bit of a sort of a a tantalizing silver lining I suppose to this whole crisis that we're in that potentially he could return in 
one of those games in those final nine games if they ever if they ever get played we will see I don't know Mike you know we we talked a little bit on our WhatsApp group about that so you, you know yeah he would be quite a major uh, player uh, and uh, part of this last nine games, if he could be there um, when he got injured, um, we did go on and score three goals against Liverpool. But you know, we we we, we saw so much more from him uh, since Pearson took over. Mm. Uh, the pressure was certainly off him, which he might have had under uh, previous managers. Is there anything else you think that this this time off? There's players who not necessarily just not fitness, but things that that, that the team need to sort of maybe add. Or is it just about just being ready and and being Watford again? Well, funnily enough, I think I think Gerard Delefeu is is a perfect case study, if you like, because you mentioned he he was really a man reborn under Nigel Pearson, and I think what he got back was his was his belief. And I, and and you talk about the Liverpool game, I think he absolutely set the tone for that victory, didn't he? He he was he was running Liverpool ragged up, up until they had that, that unfortunate injury, which I actually think was a foul. It, was, it should have been called up for a foul, and he's found his self belief, hasn't he? And I think what what this Watford squad need to do is is go through that sort of process that that Delefeu has been through. And will hopefully continue to go th- go through during his rehabilitation which is to look at who they are you know have a real sort of look at look at themselves uh, and what they expect from themselves in terms of their their performances and what they should be delivering because for for far too long this season Watford were were nowhere near good enough and I think there was a host of reasons con- contributing to that but we all know that I think the the individual performances weren't up to up to scratch and I think what they should be doing is using this time Hopefully those that got families will be spending time with families, realising, you know, reassessing what's important. Just, gosh, it's a bit psychologically, a bit deep this all of a sudden, yes. isn't it? But, <laughs> but, but just having a look at themselves and just perhaps reflecting on the season so far. They've got a very, very rare opportunity to take a, a real deep breath and, and to reflect and to, to look at things and look at how they performed in that, uh, in that first sort of 30-odd games. And I'd like to think that they're using it to realise that it wasn't, wasn't good enough. And I think they can come back... Um, hopefully stronger mentally I'd like to, I'd like to see that just to just to think about perhaps where it's gone wrong earlier in the season and uh, and make sure that if the season does restart they come back fully focused hitting the ground running they've almost got a second chance to it's going to be if it, if it does get played it's like a mini mini season isn't it now there'll have to be some sort of pre-season um, and I'd like to think that they'd be using this as a as a pre-pre-season if you like to stay sharp stay focused and yeah just perhaps mentally hone their um, their, their their state of uh, state of mind well, let's see uh, what happens with all this. It's all over the place. And there's lots of things being said. Uh, but theathletic.com is the place where the athletic journalists are trying to find out what everyone's thinking, feeling and, and what's possible. Uh, if you do want to uh, read more on there, you can, of course, subscribe. Seven days free. Uh, and in fact, you get 40% discount if you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Adam, on there in the last few weeks, you've had uh, your personal rundown of the top three greatest Watford goals. Yes, yes. Uh, it was interesting to see where you went with number one. But but before we, we see where you, you went with it, Mike, when, when you when you think about things like the greatest something and especially the greatest goal, what, what are the most important factors you, for you that you need to think about? Well, I, I did give this some thought and I went through a number of criteria sort of built up a little Excel spreadsheet a matrix if you like of things that it had to uh, that, a, that a goal had to, to cross off to be to be uh, deemed a true great one but I think it's actually pretty simple and I think a, a truly great goal is one that 
um, someone from an opposition, so someone that doesn't support Watford will talk to you about. So you go into the office on Monday and they say, oh, I saw, saw that goal from um, from Delefeu or saw that save from uh, Mike Parkin in that game almost a year ago. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think something that makes the rest of the watching world sit up and take notice. We all, we could, we can re-remember so many Watford goals and so many Watford incidents like they happened yesterday all etched on our brain. But I think those that make other people who don't really care about Watford sit up and take notice, I think that is a, that is a true, something that transcends your support, if you like, if that makes sense. It does. I, I actually understand. It, it, it's a bit more than just for Watford fans who can uh, ogle and, uh, and, and love it. Um, and I think the three goals you picked, Adam, certainly are that. To reveal the top three, I think it's only right we do it with a bit of class, a bit of zing and a bit of extra pizzazz. Well, we count down Adam Leventhal's top three Watford's greatest goals. Over the top and on the spin, in at three, it's Vidra's volley with his first goal in the playoff semi-final against Leicester. In at two, and from just outside the box, and at 100 miles per hour, mate, it's a young Nathaniel Shalabar and his rocket against Leicester in 2013. And at number one, with his debut hit on the famous Wembley turf, it's the Spanish sensation Gerard de Ulofeu with his comeback kickstarting delightfully death dig for the ages against Wolves. Adam. Yes. How long did it take you to pick those three? Did, and did you purposely do this as a Pozzo era thing? I decided that I, I was going to just do the Pozzo, Pozzo pot pickers. Um, <laughs> and I, I just thought that that might be an easier one to do. And also, I mean, all the goals that you know from, from down the years are available um, to obviously watch. But I just thought there are so many... And I just wanted to come up with sort of quite a definitive criteria that I was I was working to, and and that was that it had to be an individual goal, and that was one of the reasons why a couple of goals didn't go in there. So, the Troy Deeney goal, the you know the Deeney goal, I deemed not a goal that qualified because it was a a great team goal. I wanted one that was an individual goal, and one that that made you yelp and completely lose your senses because you were so surprised by how brilliant it was. And I think that all of those goals did just that. I mean, the only the only thing with the, with the Delafeu goal is, and I, I wrote about it, you know, each of these goals comes with an article on, on The Athletic and that the Shalabar one um, and the Delafeu one, I spoke to the, you know, the two subjects about them in detail. The only thing about that one is that the, the celebration was so... Um, muted because obviously it was the first of the goals and the game needed to be gotten on with so there wasn't a a a celebration that was befitting of the goal that's the only thing that sort of lets it down but the quality of the finish was just you know just exceptional and you know to be honest this is this is a this is a job apparently that I've got having to sit (laughs) and watch these goals over and over and over again and I really enjoyed just um, sort of getting them up on YouTube and going through them, just pausing 
every single movement just to sort of see how it all developed and you know the fact that Alman Abdi had a a difficult touch for the um, the Shalabar one and it was only set up by the fact that he didn't control the ball and then the build up to the Delafoe goal the Holobas throw in there all this sort of stuff that you don't really notice you just focus on the strike in you know the sort of the preamble to the goal was it was just really interesting I, I really enjoyed it and it is yeah it does make a mockery of the fact that this is actually work <laughs> well the, the you say that they, those goals make people make weird noises we happen yes. to be recording ourselves uh, when that Chalabar goal went oh, in against yes. Leicester and it sounded like this yes makes me it, it, I, I don't know what we looked like when that noise happened and I don't really want to know but let's let's talk about those goals the Vidra yeah. goal I think yeah. is almost like the lost goal mm-hmm. because everyone remembers well actually it's the second lost goal because there's another goal in there that no one really remembers at all because everyone always remembers the Dini goal at mm. the end but it was beautiful one Marco's dink over mm. the top was just perfect and the fact that Vidra showed what Vidra could do He'd be, it'd been 13 games since he'd scored a goal. And I remember the commentator having, w- watching it back on television, as I, have, as I have done a few times, he said, he's back. You know, Mike, that was, it was, <laughs> we hadn't seen much of Vidra for a very long time. No, and it, it was quite concerning, actually. It was a bit of a worry, and it, you did worry that the season was going to peter out as, as a result of that. He was responsible for so many wonderful goals, really, that season. And he, he had been so clinical earlier in the year, that it, but his form just had dropped dropped off a off a cliff and Andy and I, my brother and I were at the first leg of that, that playoff and he had a he had a one on one. I can't quite remember what stage of the game it was. And at no time did you expect he was going to score it. That's just the rut that, that Vidra was in at the time. And it just felt like oh we sort of came away having not played badly at all. Um probably played better than Leicester actually, but coming away behind and it was almost as if Matty Vidra's form was almost like a, an indication of how Watford's season was going to end. For him to score that goal and then go on to get the other one, of course, but to score such an incredible goal uh, in such a high-pressured match, it was just... I felt happy for him and I thought, right, straight away we're back on track now. It felt like it was a sunny day, the atmosphere was incredible and Matty Vidra's scoring again. And he just had that sort of... It's easy to say with hindsight, but it just had that sort of sense about it that it was a special day and that that really kick-started it didn't it it was just such a wonderful wonderful mm. goal and it, but it was no surprise either I don't think having seen the stuff that, that Vidra could do he was sublime on his day absolutely sublime um, a lethal striker um, and it's one of my big regrets that, I, that we haven't really seen him go on and, and and forge out the career in the in the top flight that I think we we all think that he probably could have could have had but it, it didn't come as any surprise it came as a massive relief and it just sort of kick-started that that day of excitement and just every time you watch it it just gets gets better and better and better doesn't it it reminds me a little bit of David Platts in the um in the in the World Cup, we're all watching yeah. sort of historic football at the moment, aren't we? I'm <laughs> I'm up to Italia ninety. You could probably tell, <laughs> but the ball just drops over over Platt's shoulder, and and that 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 goal is hailed as as one of the the best uh, that has scored for on the international stage for England. But but Vidra's was was better than that. The 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 ball was coming from from a lot higher, a, a much more awkward angle. He he took it um, took it higher as well. Just gave Casper Spiegel, who's obviously no mug, uh, in the Leicester goal, absolutely no chance. It was just you know, talking about it now it's the hair stand up on on, mm. on the back of your neck and it, it was just a perfect goal to kickstart what was a, an, an incredible afternoon the second goal you chose uh, adam chalabar's rocket uh, against leicester that was 
you know, I, I want to say three or four weeks before beforehand. Uh, yeah. Friday night, live on the television. That's why we were recording the podcast, ran at Mike's house. Um, and that's why we recorded us making that silly noise. But why did you pick this one? Why, why, what was, it, was it particularly to do with that season? Or was it, was it Chalabar? Or was it just that it, it almost destroyed football? Yeah, well, no, I thought that I, I just don't think that even since then, I don't think I've seen a goal that just took my breath away quite like that. It just came out of nowhere. And the fact that it was so powerful and it had come from, you know, a player that wasn't a particularly powerful player, was he? He was very slight at that point. He was still only, what, 18 years old, I think. It was just so unexpected. And, you know, I, I wrote about it in the article that, you know, it also had just a couple of extra elements to it. The fact that it hit the crossbar and and went in and the goalkeeper, like he was in the, um, the Vidra goal, it was the same keeper, obviously, Kasper Schmeichel, was totally beaten all ends up as the, as the cliché um, goes and yeah I just and it was from distance it was just an absolute pile driver it was just a shame that it was I think it was Daniel Mann who was the, the commentator it, it needed Alan Partridge commentating <laughs> on, on that goal it needed to be just a complete expletive just one expletive <laughs> you know just it was it was just incredible so but I, I what I, I learned um, speaking to um, Shalabar about that was that the sort of the background to the goal and why he actually ran over to yeah. um, Gianfranco Zola because I, I always thought, oh, it was just sort of, you know, just mutual appreciation and, you know, it was just the thing to do. Um, but he explained that in the um, the training session the day before, they had been practicing some free kicks. It was him and Alman Abdi. And they weren't really hitting the target target very well. And Zola came over and um, just put the ball down and whipped one straight in first time into the into the top corner. And uh, you just thought, it, it, uh, you know, obviously, if it had been Glenn Hoddle doing it, who was the sort of, uh, you know, the, the coach that would be, you know, come on, lads, you know, I, I could I could do this with my eyes closed and would be sort of alienating in, in some of his actions. You can imagine he would be on, on, on the training field. You just imagine that when Zola does it, all the players around him just think, oh, that was so good. I'm so happy I, that I was there to sort of see that moment because he was so likeable. And, um, you know, after that, he had sort of given um, a little bit more advice to, to Shalabar to basically say, look, you know, Let's 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 work on the contact that you're making on the ball and shoot more often. And then 24 hours later, what he doesn't absolutely <laughs> wallops one into the back of the net. So it all sort of adds up now. And I don't really think at the time we had that explanation uh, about you know the, the sort of the, the level of detail. That I'm not not sort of blowing smoke up my own backside, but I don't think we we knew that. And I just found it fascinating that it's still stuck in the mind of, of Shalabar. But also one other thing, um, which he didn't realise, because obviously when you see the um, the embrace between Zola and Shalabar, in the foreground on one of the angles, you've got Nigel Pearson, who was obviously the, the Leicester coach at the time. And um, Shalabar was like, I didn't realise. I had no idea. I, it, hadn't, it hadn't really registered. I was like, are you joking? I can't, I can't believe that you, you haven't brought this up in training. Yeah, I suppose sort of reflecting on the time, he, he, he said, well, no, when I see him next, I will make sure that I will talk to him <laughs> about that goal. So, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was good to speak to, 
to Shalabar about it. And um, and for that first goal, incidentally, with, with Vidra, I spoke to Bill Leslie, um, who's, a, who's a good friend of mine because I used to work with him at, at Capital Gold. And um, I sort of checked in with him about his feelings about that Vidra goal. He said it was it was you know one of the one of the best goals that he's he's ever seen as well. So it was a it was a, I com- I combined it to not only David Platt but with a bit of Van Basten mixed in mixed in Ooh. as well um, from Euro '88. So it was uh, yeah I think so that I think yeah I think they're both of those decent as uh, as number three and number two. Yeah, I'm happy. With I think I think the thing about <laughs> that that Chalabar goal was it just encapsulated the sense of fun that we were having at that yeah, time you know yeah, you talked absolutely. about Zola was was head coach after we'd been through a decade of of or more of some pretty um turgid football uh, worries about the finances the club was was on its backside for for a while we at the start of that season we had no idea what de- direction we were going to be going as a as a football club even if we were going to be a going concern as a football club and I think that goal and our reaction to it just summed up the sheer joy that we, we had that year. And you look at some of the players that, that were knocking around. You mentioned Abdi there, Zola as, as head coach. Everything felt possible. And whilst that goal was a massive surprise because you don't expect someone to score from three and a half miles away at that, at that <laughs> velocity. <clears throat> but it just felt like anything was possible. It, it wasn't really a surprise. It's like, yeah, this is what Watford do now. We do these crazy yeah. things. We go away to to Leicester, one of a decent side, and uh, and score these rockets live on TV. And it was just, it's something. It was the start of this this journey that we're we're still on and, and still enjoying, and hasn't really stopped. And it just felt so upbeat, so exciting. And it you know, it was just again hairs on the back of my neck standing up in, and you can see Talabar's face and there's a few of yeah. uh, of, of Deeney's reaction having seen it going in he sort of like can't believe it um, and we were up and running weren't we it was um, just such a great goal such fun to see it and it's one of those that you think well I don't, don't not used to seeing Watford scoring these sort of goals in, in big matches that count because um, that was it was a ma- the other thing to remember was it was a massive game we were we yeah. were we were pushing for for top spot was it the, la- the last but one game leading into the into the yeah, final game yeah indeed it was because so it was for- still sort of it was still alive going into that final game wasn't it yeah absolutely. Know, obviously, obviously yeah. against Leeds and it was yeah it was, it was a massive but the only thing that was missing from that goal just at you know mentioning how hardy hit it and how far away it was that we didn't have I think they'd I think Sky had sort of moved beyond the the speed gun. Um, element of it but to find out how fast that that shot was um is that i suppose the only thing that is that is missing and i i didn't have the um i didn't have the ability to uh to find that out so i, I do apologize distance divided by time yeah there's a job for someone who's working from home or has been furloughed or <laughs> yeah. is, is unable to to be carrying out their usual daily routine yeah, okay, it's doable. you know what to do stopwatch uh, protractor and a compass or whatever you need uh, set square and uh, work out the uh, the velocity of Nathaniel Chalabar's goal away against Leicester the final goal J- can I just stop you John the fact that you you just highlighted the fact that I thought that it was some crazy bit of technology and you just simply highlighted the fact that it was a, a simple equation that yeah <laughs> that everyone learns at school I think it would be great if you could um, if you could do that for 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 me and for all Watford fans, that would be fantastic. I'll, I'll have a go. I think the hardest <laughs> thing is going to be able to time it to yes. that very, very small amount because that's hundredths, a second and a hundredth. So that might yeah. be a little hard. I'll give it. I'll give it a go. Thanks, um, mate. The the final goal, uh, the number one goal, um, is Delafeu's magical spark uh, yes. in the FA Cup semi final to start that fight back. Now, Mike, 
it was fantastic being in Wembley to see it in. And, and Adams already said, actually, it was fantastic, but it wasn't the, the I don't know, the his second goal, which was almost like, we're here, we're in the lead for the first time. But unfortunately, you missed that game. I did. I was in uh, I was in New York City. I t- took the family to uh, to New York for a week. We went to uh, the kids wanted to see, and I do stress the kids wanted to go and see <laughs> WrestleMania. Um, uh, and so we were in New York basically. And that that morning we were we were trying to follow the uh, the plan was that we were going to get out to a to a bar and watch it. But for those of you who've got got families and kids, you'll know how difficult it is to get to get things moving on time. So we ended up listening to it or trying to follow it on a on a grainy internet connection in the flat and actually when it, this isn't the Delafogo it's a little a little aside but the um uh, when we when we were trying to keep track of the of the game the BBC actually reported at that right at the end there that Wolves had got a penalty and not Watford so we ended up having a massive family argument because Arlo was in the other room following on another app and he's saying Daddy Watford have got a penalty and I'm like no they haven't all the Hampton Wanderers have and it is they that's going to the FA Cup final not us we've blown it again Watford have ruined it um, he goes no Daddy 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 and then obviously they, they all went mentally in the other room and I still didn't know if it was a, a Watford penalty or not but anyway all's well that ends well but yes I missed it and throughout the day spent the time uh, chewing through all my all my data watching various watching various replays and obviously you pick up that there's word on the street that it's been a pretty special goal and then you watch it once and you think oh it's quite nice he sort of he's dinked it from a from a funny angle under quite a bit of pressure and then you watch it again and say hang on how did he do that <laughs> how's he got that up and down like that how's what his foot's in quite a funny shape there isn't it mm. and the more you watch it the more mesmeric and the more magical it gets and, and and adam touches it on touches on it in the in the article about the you know the backstory about Delafeu being held back by by Harry Grathier and 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 being intended to be used as a as a as a as a replacement later in the game to try and add a bit of spark. I mean, you couldn't have written it better, could you? He Harry's decision to bring him on late was uh, was was absolutely um, vindicated. But you can't, as you know, as a as as defenders, as a as a defending unit, what can you do about that? Absolutely nothing. We were talking a minute ago about scientific instruments to work out the speed of um, speed of a of a goal. He needed um, all the scientific instruments in his head to work out the trajectory, didn't he? To get it up, down, and in, and even the back lift of his foot. I mean, from a, from a technical point of view, absolutely incredible. And and for for it to happen on on such a massive stage with the with the eyes of the world watching, um, and to spark such a memorable comeback when I wasn't there to enjoy it, as um, absolutely terrific. It's just. Mind-boggling, and it just it just shows what the what the guy can do, and and again it just shows what an amazing time we're having as as Watford sports. I said we had it was fun watching Chalabar score that we didn't get into the play we didn't get to the Premier League that year. We made it then, we've made it now. We've we've beaten Liverpool a, a, a month ago. We're scoring these sort of goals in um, in FA Cup semi-finals. It's not bad, really, lads, is it? it? It isn't. But my question to you, Adam, is what verb did he use for that? Did, it wasn't a dink. It wasn't a shot. It was a squidgy mawag. What 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 was? What, what what do you call that? I mean, it's ridiculous because well, it's so. It, I've never seen a goal like that. I mean, no. That that was the that was the thing, wasn't it? It was that it was that. Um, you know, the fact they had the, those red boots on. I think he. I think he had tights on as well. It was, even though it was the summer, he probably did. Yeah, and and you just sort of saw that flick out to the right-hand side with his right boot, which just made everything different to every sort of uh, top corner curler that you've ever seen before. And the fact that he got that 
spin on it. I tried to sort of describe it in various different ways in, in the article that it was like a, a, a top spin forehand shot down the line from a, a tennis player who'd sort of gone out of the court and then managed to spin the ball back in or like a um, a 10-pin bowler really sort of gripping hard with his with his right hand and squeezing the ball so hard that it runs along the the, the gully and then you know spins back and and obviously goes for goes for a strike he he just managed to sort of generate that extra spin almost like um and this was another thing i to be honest I have obviously been confined in my office quite quite a long quite a long time, and trying to sort of describe things like that, you start to sort of lose your mind slightly. Um, that he, it was almost like, um, do you remember sensible soccer? Did either of you used to play? Oh sensible? yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That you could really give it some aftertouch after you <laughs> deliver the ball. Really get really give it a good bend yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. That but it was almost swaz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that he'd he'd. Um, it was like he had aftertouch. He like picked up a controller and and managed to sort of do that. But it was it was what he generated with the purchase of his foot, which was it was just incredible. It, I just um, you know watched it over and over and over again. And you know I mentioned it before. You know you watch the the build up to these goals and the the sort of the contrast between the industrial not industrial, agricultural way that the, the goal was built up to with that long throw. Go on, get, get, in, the, get in the box. Oh, you know, Holobas just waving everyone forward. Just get it in the mixer. Dini missed the header. Uh, Ruben Saiz missed his header and it rolled off his foot. And then just came, you know, a moment of, of brilliance from Delafeo. And he was like, a, I described him as, as being like a dog handler with the ball that he just managed to sort of take control of the ball instantly. And then... He was able to sort of do that magical thing, which which we all now know and love. And I think I was trying to work out whether, you know, it was a bit too much to say that that is one of the best goals that has been scored at, at Wembley. I mean, I think it would probably it'd be, it'd be right up there, I think, in terms of the quality of goal and and the fact that it was it was so unique um, that I think, yeah, I think it would probably it would probably compete quite well against goals that have been scored all the way through you know from the old Wembley and in the, obviously the new Wembley now so yeah it was a special goal and it was scored by a Watford player who could still be playing this season <laughs> <laughs> it is that goal that will be part of many a montage uh, yeah. for many years to come but it's a great top three Vidra's goal uh Spin and volley uh, against Leicester in the playoffs. Chalabar's rocket against Leicester uh, and also Delafeo's bit of magic in the FA Cup semi-final. The top three of Adams' greatest Watford goals. You might be missing football on a Saturday afternoon, but we have on From the Rickering something special for you. Uh, our friend Colin, who you know, who is a, uh, a professional actor, uh, you might have seen him in the latest release of uh, Military Wives, uh, he has done something quite spectacular. Uh, it's it's sublime. It's something for you to play in the background on Saturday afternoon. We're going to put the podcast up about two o'clock on Saturday. Colin has imagined the entire game between Watford and Leicester from about two weeks ago. He has commentated on it, uh, ad-libbed the whole lot, 
Uh, and it is just a wonderful thing just to have on the background. Imagine there's a game of football going on. Whatever you're doing around the house, stick the podcast on uh, and you're, it'll be uh, a, uh, the commentator plus uh, uh, Kevin McPhee, uh, who is the co-host. And the whole game has been commentated on all 90 minutes. It's brilliant. Just so you know, we know what you're thinking. We have checked in on Colin. He is absolutely fine. <laughs> he hasn't completely taken leave of his senses. Um, but yeah, he wanted to fill a little bit of time. I think he misses what everyone misses, don't they? Pottering around, hearing that that um, familiar hum of of sport in the background, whether it's on the TV in the other room while you're making your, your lunch or dinner or on the radio or or whatever, he just missed it, and uh, he, he's, he's done an incredible job of uh, filling that gap. But he, he is absolutely fine. He hasn't completely taken leave of his senses, <laughs> and will pass on all of your best wishes. <laughs> yeah, but we'll we'll put it out ready for Saturday. I'll, on, we'll tweet about it. I will tell you. The, I'll tell you the exact minute you need to press play. So if you press play, then you'll be able to. The whistle will go at three o'clock. There's a whole preview preamble with with the commentator and and and, uh, and Kevin McPhee. Um, it's wonderful. It's just so. It just it was perfect. He did it last weekend, and I had it on on Sunday afternoon, and it was just the best noise to have in the background while football isn't around. But that, that's coming this weekend. Um, there is a brand new Hornet Heaven out, a very short one that Ollie's written, uh, and Colin again has voiced. Uh, that's out at the moment. Um, but. Our next podcast on From the Recreation will be the relaunch of Watford in 100 Objects. Mike, we started this quite a while ago. We did. I wanted to do this. It was my idea. And like all my good ideas, we never really sort of bottomed it out, but bottomed it out properly, all in the idea, less in the execution with uh, with me. But yeah, what I wanted to do is sort of, I always see football or being a football supporter as, a, as less the the black and white less less the the results and the, uh, the who finishes where in the league it's all the other stuff isn't it it's all the the stuff on the periphery that that makes it such a rich and uh, an enjoyable experience and somehow I wanted to pull together a a list obviously not a definitive list everyone will have will have stuff but a list that sort of speaks of how speaks to how um, varied life is as a as a Watford supporter and uh, just getting a taste of every sort of as many different things um, because that's all they can be described as really things objects um, that that feed into life as a Watford supporter so we have yeah we've come up with Watford in 100 objects we've done 72 and they've been in past podcasts but it's been a good few years since we've done anything on the podcast about this list of 100 objects Uh, but we're running through those in a couple in the next couple of weeks uh, as we uh, have this break uh, within the uh, football season, uh, and it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's historic, but but more than anything, a lot of these are very very personal, uh, and they're personal objects to individuals, uh, and as well as some historic ones. But the first object is a wonderful coincidence. The first object that uh, we put in the list—it's not the number one object; it's the first object—was Pierre Issa's stretcher. And Adam, yeah. you have recently spoken <laughs> to the man. I have. Yeah, there was um we were sort of doing um a series with the athletic called Unwritten and the brief was to tell a story that has never really been told properly. Um and I decided to sort of dig into the Pierre Issa falling off a stretcher story uh, because I thought it would be interesting to find out not only, you know, exactly what happened Okay, we've all seen the clip on on YouTube. We can imagine the details. We know that someone slipped over and he fell off. But what exactly was the background to why a stretcher bearer fell over and the impact that that then had on Pierre Issa's uh, shoulder 
that he'd already dislocated um, when he <laughs> fell off the stretcher and that he fell on, um, but also on his on his career as well. And just to sort of try and and just dig into the situation at the time, because it, it sort of became almost, you know, symbolic of that um, Gianluca Vialli era, really. It was sort of haphazard and a bit muddled and painful really and i think that those those things are all associated with exactly what happened <laughs> with um with pierre isa um so i went to um meet him he was over working um this is his job now he's a he's a football agent and he represents some of the players that play for uh, olympiakos um so when he was over uh, watching their game against arsenal which they went on and and won i met him uh, fittingly for all the finances that were pumped into the football club during the Viali era uh, in a Mayfair hotel, um, <laughs> all plush and polished. Um, and he was such a such a nice guy, really, really sort of good to talk to him, find out what he's, you know, what he's doing now and then reflect on that time. And he was very open and very honest about the fact that it was just sort of, yeah, it was it was symbolic of the time. And when you have, for him personally, a sort of a spiral of events, you look back at things that happen, like falling off a stretcher, and you think, yeah, that was just a phase of my career, which really, really didn't go very well. He'd started off, you know, with Marseille. His move to Chelsea hadn't gone to plan. He then moved to Watford, thought that it was going to be sort of a, a perfect um, step down to get back up under Viali with all that money and those players coming in. Um, but it was just a, a move that never really worked out for for him, for the fans and ultimately for, for the coach as well. But it was it was really good fun uh, digging into the article because I got to I got to find out who those stretcher bearers were. I looked at the photo of prior to the incident happening because there's actually quite a good catalogue of, of photographs. Um, I don't know if it was because the, the snapper who was uh, on duty that day uh, was particularly interested in people being stretched off, but there's quite a few good <laughs> photos and there's one of all four uh, stretcher bearers standing and then obviously carrying him along with the physio in the middle who was Paul Rastrick. So all was going to plan. And then there's the, the photo of just after the fall and one of the one of the photos um, shows one of the stretcher bearers who I now know is a guy called Tim Beasley uh, there was Tim Beasley and Pete Beasley his brother Tim is a taxi driver and um, they were both friends of Paul Rastrick who was the, who was the physio and they were regulars and then there was another guy called Howard or Howie who was a who was a student and then the fourth one and the guy who slipped over in the end was someone that had been um, brought in as a sort of a, as a substitute he'd been working for St John's at St John's ambulance and I learned just by speaking to Paul and speaking to the other guys that he hadn't been feeling particularly well that day. He was also, and this is a key thing in the whole story, he was wearing the wrong footwear. Ooh. That footwear was described, he was wearing his disco shoes, as they were described, <laughs> sort of like a snap. It's a snapshot of the of the time as well, when you had to, you know, if you were going out and you went to a club, you'd wear a sort of, you know, a Ralph Lauren shirt or Yves Saint Laurent shirt and jeans and smart shoes. That's what you sort of went out in. And it was described as, uh, yeah, he was wearing disco shoes. And ultimately, that proved his, his literal downfall because uh, he slipped 
on the pitch. And that's basically what, what happened in the end. And that's what makes this so memorable for all the wrong reasons. Well, the, in my mind, there's two things. One, I think the disco shoes absolutely sums up the Viali era 100% yeah, as well yeah, yeah, but yeah. also the fact that um, actually do we not put the stretcher into the list now Michael do we have to put the disco shoes into the, in the no maybe we, we'll have to keep the stretcher the thing I really love about this story as well it's not the disco shoes fault at all it's not the stretcher bearer's fault it's not uh, it's not the Pierre Eater's fault it's not Watford's fault as with so many things that go wrong with football it's Mike Dean's fault yeah I know because was, like Mike Dean yeah, I mean, I was reading the story and I was like, of course, I mean, I was there, I remember seeing it. It's one of those moments, it reminds me of the of the ghost goal when you watch it and you think, mm. have I have I just seen that? And then you watch it and then the next day you tell someone, oh, the Watford player got t- tipped off. And you think, actually, he can't have done. Did that happen? Did I really, really yeah. imagine? Did I really see that? So, yeah, just being there for it was quite incredible. But I didn't remember that Mike Dean was the... Um, was the ref and of course yeah in your, in your piece Adam you mentioned that the stretcher bearers try to take the the shortest yeah. shortest route off the pitch as you'd as you'd as you'd want to do especially if you're wearing disco shoes you'd want to yeah. get on and and get off the dance floor as quickly as possible um and Mike Dean made them go around the that round the edge and it had that sort of if I remember correctly is that sort of um astroturfy type type stuff around the around the edge of the pitch isn't there and and a combination of a, of a greasy lacquer and uh, and a decent pair of uh, uh, dancing shoes uh, and, a, and a six foot uh, defender is uh, is never going to go well but yeah of course Mike Dean sort of being really pernickety and making him go around the edge caused yeah. it all didn't he well done yeah Mike. and you can imagine you can imagine that you know even though you know it's that was what 20 years even then he was a attention-seeking um, what not yeah it didn't I, I just thought oh yeah typical Mike Dean brilliant uh, you got to speak to uh, Pierre uh, Pierre uh, Pierre like I know him really well um, what did he have to say well actually I can play you um, some of what he said from the interview um, let's have a listen because he, he reflects on the on the time as a whole when there was lots of money being pumped in and there was lots of players including himself and Ramon Vega and players like that getting a lot of money um, so he was quite sort of uh, honest about that situation but uh, obviously starting off with the main thrust of the piece exactly what happened and how did he feel when he fell off the stretcher there was no time I mean even for the manager you can feel that uh, you know uh, there was a lot of money spent on certain players and uh, players who played in uh, in uh, in top clubs I mean uh, Filippo Galli Ramon Vega there was me Blondo so even the manager had that uh, that that pressure of the time, and the people also wanted to see the difference. It's normal because they say well, we're spending so much money for these players, we are not seeing any wins or we are not seeing the team going up. For sure, I mean there was a, of course there was a pressure, but it's it's always also good pressure. But for sure, the most who were also suffering. I mean suffering is a, it's not suffering, but who are frustrated about. Not getting straight the result and doing the job was also us at the end. I think at the end something didn't go well as, uh, as expected. Maybe the timing also was not so good because a few players arrived late. Like even me, I arrived like it was the last week of the market. So I think maybe in that time, yeah, we didn't have maybe the full squad from the first eight day training. And then at the end, uh, it's normal that when you're in a negative way of not winning, problems, and at the end, the trainings change and then uh, the manager has the pressure and I think uh, it didn't help a lot, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But of course, yeah, the, the, the money that was spent, of course, you needed to have the results quickly. When there's a spiral of 
nothing's going how it should go, then things just come up and continue. And I think that was uh, the spiral that was going in, uh, in, uh, in that month, in those days. I think things were not going on the way that everybody was expecting. And then, of course, things like this, when it happened in that time, will keep in the mind of the people. But if it's happening in times when the team is winning, you're top of the league, everybody will joke or forget about it. So, yeah, these were, were, were things who, unfortunately, uh, uh, kept the mind of, uh, of the people, yeah. That was, uh, I think we went a uh, challenge, uh, two players together, then I fell on, uh, I had an injury before on my um, right shoulder. It was, uh, so yeah, I was, uh, I was feeling uh, pain also in the leg. And at the end, I don't know, who the people preferred to put, uh, to use a stretcher, but I think then the guy uh, slipped or fell, so <laughs> I fell with him. So at the end, uh, it's quite, um, you can say it's a quite time where the, the uh, things were not in the best way uh, for, for the team. Yeah. Pierre Issa there from Adam's chat with him for the article that is on The Athletic. In fact, everything we've talked about on today's episode comes from The Athletic. You can read it right now by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. You get a seven day free trial. And if you love it, you get a 40% discount on subscriptions. Everything's in there. All Adam's stuff about Watford, the wider world of the Premier League, some really in-depth journalism, as well as, well, the whole world of sport. Uh, we do hope everyone is happy and everybody is safe during these strange times, uh, but particularly shout out to Adam Smith, a uh, Hornet exiled in Chalton in Manchester. Uh, he has just got out of hospital and we really hope and we're really glad that you're starting to feel better, Adam, and we hope every Hornet is safe and sound. We'll be back with that special live sort of commentary of Watford against Leicester on Saturday. Get it downloaded and get ready to press play so you can imagine the whole of Saturday afternoon. A live Watford game is happening and we'll be back with some more podcasts next week, particularly one about the Watford in 100 objects. Thank you very much, Michael, for your time. More than welcome, anytime. And uh, thank you very much, Adam. Uh, and lovely speech to you. It's been, been a while. Gents, as always, an absolute pleasure. Take care of yourselves. We'll be back again with that special weird podcast, but it'll be fantastic uh, with Colin commentating on Watford against Leicester on the weekend, as well as our 100 Objects relaunching very, very soon. Come on, you on! <laughs>